birth of Jesus Christ. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, and all that went to be registered, each in his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Yeah, better than Linus. Um, uh, thanks so much for being here this morning. It's really lovely to worship with you guys. I'm very thankful uh, to Leah for planning and spearheading today's service, and then for all the musicians participating. They practiced separately, you know, spent their evenings, and, um, and just really grateful for the practice and prayer. So thank you. Uh, there is something so wonderful about singing Christmas carols and rereading Christmas texts. Just uh, there's a magic to them uh, which resonates with our heart. No matter what is going on in our lives, these songs and texts speak to deep longings in our heart. Uh, one of my favorite Advent rhythms begins tomorrow, actually, with the O antiphons. Uh, we sing through some of them when we sang O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Like, it's a song with seven stanzas, and the seven stanzas are for the seven O antiphons. Um, and those are ancient Christian prayers from about the 6th or 7th century, um, it's believed, and they've been read or sung on the seven days before Christmas, and so one for each day. So you start tomorrow reading O Wisdom, and then you march through until Christmas Eve. So they are O Wisdom, O Lord, O Root of Jesse, O Key of David, O Dayspring, O King of the Nations, or Desire of the Nations, and O Emmanuel. And so, yeah, you there's these little short... Um, like four-line poems, uh, prayers that you read. So first, O Wisdom would be tomorrow, and then, and then so on until you get to Christmas Eve. And a, a cool fact, um, which uh, the early church always built these layers uh, into these, and so arranged in Latin, once you get to O Emmanuel, if you look back, they form an acronym spelling out He Comes Tomorrow, um, Arrow Cross, which is just like a cool, neat thing that they did and they spent their time doing. Um, <laughs> We should spend our time doing that, honestly. Um, so these seven titles, though, are taken from Old Testament messianic prophecies. Uh, and together, they capture the prophetic ache for God to send a Savior and to send a Savior like this. Uh, Malcolm uh, Geit, who is a, uh, he's a priest um, in the Anglican Church, he wrote, The whole purpose of Advent is to be for a moment fully and consciously before Christ. In that place of darkness and waiting, we look for his coming and try not to presume too much that we already know or have it. Whoever compiled these prayers was able imaginatively to write BC, perhaps saying to themselves, if I hadn't heard of Christ and didn't know the name of Jesus, I would still long for a savior. I would still need someone to come. Who would I need? 
I would need a gift of wisdom. I would need a light, a king, a root, a key, a flame. And pouring over the pages of the Old Testament, they would find all these things promised in the coming of Christ. And so as we enter the last week of Advent, the darkest uh, time of the year, I want you to take a moment and revisit these metaphors. Like the original authors, if you hadn't heard of Christ uh, and didn't know the name of Jesus, would you still need someone to come? Would you still want someone to come and fix it all? Who would that be? What kind of Savior would it be? Who are you waiting for? I think that I know what I need, but I don't. I think I know what I want, but I often don't, because sometimes when I get it, it doesn't satisfy Just think of all the bogus saviors that we think will fix our lives and world. Uh, Politicians, businessmen, inventors, gurus. I think education is what I need, or a revolution, career moves, technologies. But we need so much more than these people offer us, no matter how gifted. Uh, So much more than our plans, no matter how perfect the plans are, they aren't enough. What was the last thing you really thought would make a difference in your life? Did it make a difference? My predicament calls out for a particular kind of Savior, and Advent is about remembering that Savior. When I read these antiphons, they resonate with the longing in my soul. We need a Savior who's not just wise, but who is wisdom, by whom and through whom all things exist, clear-eyed and knowing, able to disentangle the world. We need a Savior who's not just powerful and strong, but who is Lord, Adonai, a righteous sovereign and authority worth submitting to. One who is the key of David, who is a perfect fit to unlock the unique chains of our bondage and free us. The root that will sprout new life after death, the dawning sun after a dark night the desire of the nations who will finally bring every tribe and tongue and people together under one roof. And finally, the only one who could do all of that is Emmanuel, God with us. That is what the world needs. That is what we need. One who is wisdom, Lord, key, root, son, king, God. That's what the world needs and wants. And if you, under, if you look underneath all our fears and hopes, all our dreams, you would find a longing for a Savior just like this. If we dug deep into our own soul, below whatever today's needs and wants happen to be, you would find that Jesus is actually what you are looking for. And so as we enter the last week of Advent, how do you need Jesus to show up in your life today? A Christian Advent recognizes three distinct comings of Jesus. That's what Advent means, to come. And his first coming is at his birth, which we celebrate. His second coming is at his return, which is what we long for. But we also, in Advent, long for a daily presence of Jesus, a continual arrival in our lives, uh, which we need, but we forget. And so how do you need Jesus to show up for you today and this week and this next year? Which metaphor resonates with you? And hold on to it this week. I even was thinking as we were singing, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it's such a, it's such a wonderful song. Um, and I was like, man, what if, I, what if I prayed the antiphons all year long, especially the confession? You know, we say, I've like confined the birth of, Je- birth of Jesus to Christmas and not throughout the year. But what if I just prayed that Jesus would come in these ways all year, 
Do we need him to be wisdom? Do you need Jesus this week, today, to be wisdom for you, to bring order amidst confusion? Do you need him to be a dawning light, the morning star, a promise of hope in a dark time on the horizon? Do you need him to be your root, an anchor which holds you through storms and nourishes you in drought? Do you need a key, someone who is the perfect combination of truth and grace to free you from your chains? Do you need to know that Jesus is the king of the nations, the desire of the nations, able to bring about the unity of all peoples? Do you need to submit to him as Lord? Do you want a Lord tired of determining for yourself what's true and right? You're ready to just give your life over to someone else who's trustworthy and good. Are you lonely? Do you need Jesus to be present with you, just God with you? That's all you want. Can I know that God is with me? Pray and ask God to show up in one or all these metaphors as wisdom, Lord, root, key, day, spring, king, and Emmanuel. Now, these prophetic metaphors were first delivered 800 years before Christ was born. They're taken largely from the book of Isaiah, which was eight centuries before Jesus was born. And it didn't, it's not that it took 800 years for people to need Jesus or to know that they needed Jesus. They knew from the beginning we needed him on day one. And so what was God doing during all that time of waiting? What is he doing now as we pray and ask the Lord? Is he still deciding what to do? Is he not sure? Was he deciding whether his people were worth it? Is that why it took 800 years? Was he deciding whether he was going to save them? Was he waiting for them to change their ways? for us to say the magic word, and then he would arrive. If you're into astronomy, I don't know if there's any astronomy people here, there was a fascinating book published in 2015 called The Great Christ Comet by Colin Nichol. And um, Dr. Nichol is a New Testament professor, and he wanted to know what the star of Bethlehem was. And so he did a deep dive into astronomy. And this book is is really wild. It's like half science textbook, half ancient history, half exegesis. And that adds up to 150%, and that's what it felt like reading it. <laughs> like, it, it read, like, or it, was, it, it hurt my brain to like, but I was still sucked into it. Um, and Maggie knows this, because she had way more conversations about comments this week than she wanted. Um, but I was, just, I was just drawn into it. It's really fascinating um, and marvelous. And the long story short is that Dr. Nichol makes a compelling case that the star of Bethlehem was a comet. Uh, only a comet could appear to move about the sky for months. Stars are fixed. They're so far away. But comets move, and we move. Uh, Earth is moving, and everything is moving. And so only a comet could appear on the uh, eastern horizon and then the western horizon and then directing the south, like all over the place. Only a comet with a tail could appear to stand up and point down on the very house in Bethlehem where Jesus was born. And so he makes this case uh, in this book. Uh, St. Matthew wasn't mistaken when he called it a star, so it's called the Star of Bethlehem. But in the first century, many things in space were called stars. And the three magi would have been very familiar with comets. Uh, that said, if the magi were familiar... Something must have been particularly striking about this comet because they would have seen many comets. 
uh, particularly striking about the Christ comet, to compel them to drop everything and journey 500 miles in a caravan to Babylon to bring gifts to this newborn king. Uh, and, and thankfully, we know so much more today about comets. Um, and so Dr. Nickel applies all that knowledge to the biblical texts. Uh, you can, with software now, picture the night sky from any place. Uh, you just put, put the date in. For all of human history, we would have known what the night sky looks like. And then you could, uh, there's other software that uh, offers projections of what a comet would do if it was this size and in this direction. Um, so what did they see? Well, he believes, and he backs up with a whole lot of data, that the three magi saw a comet, and not just any comet, but a comet rising in the womb of the constellation Virgo. And so as the sun was about to uh, rise, there would have been a comet appearing uh, in the womb of Virgo, and Virgo is the only female zodiac um, and she is called Virgo because she's a virgin. And his hypothesis, though, doesn't only hang on Matthew 2, but it also looks to Revelation 12. And Revelation 12 is this curious celestial account of Jesus' birth. Revelation 12, 1 and 2, and a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And that's a reasonable description of Virgo. The months of the zodiac are named uh, because it's the constellation closest to the sun when it rises. And so during the month of Virgo, she's literally overlaid and clothed with the glory of the sun. And at times of our various years, the moon will be at her feet. So that's verse one. Verse two, she was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains in the agony of giving birth. And baby Jesus is that comet which starts as a pinpoint and grows over seasons. And then even as the earth shifts, it would descend in the character of Virgo. She would give birth. The constellation would give birth. Uh, Babylon also, where the Magi are from, had a significant Jewish population, and so they would have been familiar with the virgin and star prophecies. Uh, we read some of them today. Isaiah 9, 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And so the Magi are looking and they, they see this sign of a virgin giving birth and they know something significant is happening. They would have also known way back in Numbers, a long time before them even, Balaam's oracle regarding the Messiah in Numbers 24. And it foretells a scepter-shaped star, which is like a comet with a tail. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Um, it's all very cool. There are lots of details. You can borrow the book if you want to. But the takeaway for me today is this. That comet or whatever celestial object it was, had been in motion since before the solar system had been birthed. It had been hurtling in orbit for thousands, millions, maybe billions of years. Its size and chemical composition, its shape, trajectory, speed had been tailor-made for this one occasion to show itself and to show, announce the arrival of the Son of God to 
a few astrologers, pagan astrologers. Not only that, the other planets, the moon, the earth, all had their appointed locations and orbits, for only then could the sun, the stars, the constellations be in their proper positions. The weather had to be clear on those nights so that they could see it. The precise moment of the Messiah's birth was already firmly established when the solar system began, guaranteed by the laws of physics. Moreover, Almighty God shaped and influenced centuries of astronomy and astrology and the cultures that watched them. He set up the zodiac signs and all the myth behind them to make sure that at least a handful of Gentiles would be carefully watching the sky, ready to drop everything, travel hundreds of miles to welcome and worship God's Son. The same God who planned the Star of Bethlehem from the very beginning, he has planned something even more glorious for Christ's second coming. It, it, reading this book gave me like, hope and imagination, like what will, what will that sign be? Everything that you long for, everything you've prayed for, everything Jesus has promised, it is on its way. It is already on its way. It is in motion, and there is nothing that can stop it. As we go into Christmas with unanswered prayers, with unmet hopes, with unresolved fears, let's remember the antiphons. Let's remember the prophecies. Remember the promises. And picture the Christ comet already in motion, already on its way to announce the glorious grace of our Lord. Picture Jesus already on his way. We have been given a sign. On us, a light has dawned. Get ready. He comes tomorrow. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are so thankful for the curious details in the stories of Scripture, and particularly in the story of Christ's birth. It would have been so easy to move past uh, these stories, but uh, we learn in Luke that Mary held all these things in her heart, and she shared them with the apostles, and they wrote them down. Father, we are thankful for how it encourages us that you are a God which keeps his promises, which keeps his promises uh, no matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that even now, Jesus is on his way. Redemption is on its way. Father, would you grant us great hope? Would we be like the Magi who are looking to the stars and seeing your promises being fulfilled? Would we have our eyes open to the details of our life ready to drop everything and travel to worship you and to adore you. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us this ritual every year to remember your birth and to remember that you will come again in glory and power. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.